Thank you very much. Now, my name is Trevor Bond, and as um, I was saying to someone who um, hadn't heard my name before, uh, we've been expecting you, Mr. Bond. But uh, if you've looked on the list and seen that I was coming up, we're talking today on the Band of Brothers, but the particular brother that we're looking at today, the uh, disciple, is Judas Iscariot. Well, it's uh, the sort of time that in the pantomime you get boos. Uh, we went to a, a pantomime. We remember it well in Torquay. The last one we went to about 25 years ago. Probably the last one we'll ever go to. We've been sick, a lot of, uh, of the family, over Christmas. And we, uh, some of us struggled there and then we regretted that we had. Uh, but... It was uh, a pantomime in the normal style where as soon as uh, the uh, villain comes on stage, everyone goes, ooh, all together. And unfortunately, we do, do tend to have that view of Judas, but actually he was a real man. And it's a sad story, but there are things that we can learn from the story. Now, first of all, let's have a look at uh, some of the lessons that we can learn from this. First of all, Judas was chosen. He was chosen as a disciple. He was selected personally by the Messiah to be one of his group. Secondly, he spent three years in close proximity with the Son of God, where he could walk with him, he could talk with him, he could ask him any question. Do you often think, if I could meet Jesus today, I'd ask him this or I'd ask him that? Judas could do that for three years. He could observe all that was going on. He could be friends with Jesus. He heard firsthand all the stuff that Jesus taught. We can read it in the scriptures, but actually he was there and he heard it firsthand for himself. He saw the wonders of God before his own eyes. You know, sometimes it talks about Jesus. The sick came to him and they were all healed. Imagine what that was like. Judas had that experience. Do you know he was one of the 12 that were sent out to do wonders, to pray for people, and they saw healings and deliverances and came back and reported with joy all that had gone on. He was one of those. He was entrusted with an important role, looking after the money bag for the, uh, the, the disciples. It does also say that he was a thief and a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. But um, in John 12, but be that as it may, he was entrusted with a role in the disciples. Now we can say that Judas was in an immensely privileged position. Do you know out of all the population of the world throughout all time, only 11 other people had the same privilege that he had. 
Now, isn't that amazing? What a position he was in. But we've come to realise during this um, series that you can't get by without seeing a top trump. So let's see what the top trumps have to say. Opportunity, 98. Honesty, 1. Trustworthiness, 0. Not particularly brilliant. Unfortunately, what he had as his privileged position was rather squandered. So given that position that he had with Jesus, why did he squander it? What happened? I'd like us to look at two pictures. This is the first one. Have a look at that. See what you think of that. Now, do you notice anything on that um, picture? A dot. Have a look at this next one. Now, if you compare your own life to those around you, you get this first one. Because there's all sorts of things going on, all sorts of camouflage. You see the camouflage up there? It's all sorts of camouflage going on so that we don't really notice our own sin. But then he comes face to face with Jesus. And this is what we get. His sin... His failure, his difficulties are against the pure white background of Jesus. Now, there are two things you can do when you're in that position. And one is to go towards Jesus in repentance. And the other is to be repelled because it makes you look dirty. He saw the purity of Jesus and it showed up in his heart, exposed what was there. He could have gone to resentment or repentance, and he went to resentment. When he chose re uh, resentment, he made a landing strip in his life for the enemy to come in. Now, we had... We've been to a number of places in our lives, and uh, one of the places we'd never been was Venice. And seeing as uh, Vicky Holness, who, who is a member of the church here, had been out there for four years and is coming close to the end of her time, we thought, now's the time, take the opportunity. We, were, we flew out there. As we were coming to Marco Polo Airport, the captain came on the, uh, the, the speaker system and told us that we weren't able to land because there had been another aircraft that had come in there and uh, it had been wheels up and made a mess of the runway and things. So we had to go on to Bologna and then get bussed back. But the thing is, he could not land where he wanted to because he didn't have authority. And the devil cannot land in our lives without us giving him authority. Is that right? And that is a key thing for us to remember from this one, that the opportunity for the enemy to work in our lives is under our control because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
Now, demons are not talked about a great deal these days in some circles, and that suits demons fine. They like not to be talked about. They like not to be regarded as real. But they are. And don't think that just because you've been called by Jesus, you've heard his teaching, you've performed miracles or healings, that that will guarantee you protection. The only thing that gives us protection is a clear heart before God, a repentant heart where we are clear with God and he has dealt with our sin. We can't deal with it ourselves and we make a landing strip for the enemy to land in our lives. All those things applied to Judas. We saw on the things that um, came up earlier on. He had an immense privileged position, but he still made himself open to the enemy to come and to come into his life. And you might say, well, but prophecy said that he was going to be the one that uh, let Jesus down. Do you know, he had the opportunity to repent. And he wouldn't have been the one that let Jesus down. I really believe that. Prophecy is predictive, it is not restrictive on us. There's room in his heart for sin to grow, and he allowed it to devour him. People speak of uh, the uh, foreknowledge of God from Ephesians 1 and other places, and they say, well, as if um, God has, has called me to be uh, his, then there's nothing I can do about it. I'm, it will happen. But it's not like that, is it? We know God gives us choices. And he gives us the power to choose him. Judas laid himself open to what the enemy wanted to do in his life. And in Matthew 26, 25, it says this. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, yes, it is you. Now, at that time, he had the opportunity to say, Jesus, I don't want it to be me. Pray for me. I really believe he had the opportunity to, to repent. Judas received that confirmation that it was him, but because of stubborn pride, he didn't ask for help. And he laid himself open. I'd like us right now, though, to, um, to have a, a look at a passage of Scripture that teaches us something rather wonderful about Jesus and the way in which he responded to Judas, but also about Judas and the way in which he responded to Jesus. Thank you, Dick. We're going to read John chapter 13 and the first 30 verses.
So it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, no, not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture, that he who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before this happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I say to you, whoever accepts anyone who I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. And since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had, sorry, Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Thank you, Dean.
Let's just consider this situation. Here is the perfect son of God with his disciples. And the disciples uh, are then treated to this wonderful show of servanthood as he washes their feet. And Jesus knows who Judas is and he takes off his outer garment like a servant, he washes Judas's feet. To the very end, he loved him every minute. Now that, to me, is just such a graphic picture. That Jesus was there serving, loving, constantly giving Judas every opportunity. But the thing is, we are rather prone to be like Judas. We tend to think of ourselves and, and our own little environment and making sure that everything's okay. We tend to be greedy, taking what opportunity we can to, f to feed our own desires. I, perhaps I'm talking for myself. Is there nobody else associated with that? Unwilling sometimes to hear God's word to us that might come and touch something in our hearts. Continual repentance is our best safeguard. It's the way that we can find grace from God. And can I also encourage you, the best way to avoid getting into a problem where you have that decision to make is to make a pre-decision. The day I met uh, Elaine and then three years later when we got married, we made those vows and I determined to say, I'd make a pre-decision that I would not commit adultery with anybody else. I was given to Elaine for life. That was a pre-decision. Now, they don't all have to be big decisions like that, but really good to make a pre-decision. If that is a weak area in your life, whatever it is, I'm going to make the pre-decision that I am not going to fall in that. I am going to come to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and his help so that I can be the person that God made me to be. So that's all very sad, but let's look at the person of Jesus and see something more of what he was doing. When Jesus selected the twelve, he spent all night in prayer, and he selected Judas as one of those. And now I believe that Jesus had an amazing insight we look at some of the things that words of knowledge that he had. Like, for example, there has in all of creation only probably been one fish in the countless billions that has had a four drachma coin in its mouth. Yeah? And he was able to tell Peter to go and fish for that one. He knew what was going to happen. We saw Nathaniel last time 
and, and, and Philip, and I saw you under the fig tree. <coughs> All sorts of examples, loads and loads of examples, including the whole of Matthew uh, 24, talking about the end times. Jesus knew and had a great insight. To my mind, there is no question about it. He knew who Judas was. And he knew that he wasn't going to be a responsive person. And throughout the three years, he lived with him and he gave him everything he possibly could and served him right to the very end. John 6, verse 70 says this. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is the devil? He meant Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to, be, to betray him. That was quite earlier on. Early on. That's chapter 6. So how did Jesus handle that? In the same way as washing the disciples' feet, he was fully inclusive. He didn't exclude Judas on that basis. Judas continued to gain all the benefits of being a disciple. And even at the point at which he was betrayed, Jesus used this word towards Jesus, uh, Judas. Friend. Now, I don't know about you, whether you've got any difficult people in your life. Yes, probably. Um, and that, that you look at the, your situation with these people and you think, how on earth am I going to find grace? And the answer is, you can find grace in the spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, we were singing earlier on, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. If we have the spirit of Christ, we have the enabling of Christ in our own lives. We can believe for that, we can receive that, and give us the grace to be able to live with people who wind us up, who cause us trouble, and they have no sense of regret when they do. God wants us to enjoy the spirit of Jesus in our lives. That's the positive aspect of this story. So what was going on with uh, Jesus during these years? Let's have a look at Hebrews 5. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, you can have a blinkered view and say, well, it, this was the suffering on the cross. That's what it's all about. But there's no suggestion in this that that's what it was all about. It was the lifetime of being involved in suffering and difficulty and living through it in the power of God. And I believe that Judas was a key part of that. It shows us the grace of God towards us 
but it's also the means by which we can say, we have one in heaven who understands. We don't have one in heaven who just made sure that he only had people who really wanted to sing of the same song sheet as him. He had Judas with him throughout those years. And we can say, Jesus is in heaven and understands our problems. That John, that Jenny, that, that Fred, the people that cause us problems, we know that he is in heaven and he understands. Now, I want to say that at this point, God wants us to realize that we have the protection of his Holy Spirit, so there's no need to be fearful, but we also need to be under that protection in order to benefit from it. If you don't know the Lord Jesus today, today is the day to get yourself under that protection, to get yourself in a place where you know that the power of God will preserve and keep you for all eternity and be with you. And if you're thinking, oh, I'm just letting these things go in my life. I'm, I'm getting a bit into sin here and oh, just compromising. Today's the day. Get yourself sorted out. Repentance, a daily repentance and saying, Lord, cleanse me through Make me ready to be all that you want me to be and trust in him to be with you and support you. So these are the two things that we can take from today. If we leave room for sin, then we lay ourselves open to the enemy. But the antidote is humble repentance. It's a wonderful verse in 1 Peter. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we can also take, it from the, take this from today. Jesus, the perfect son of God, has mercy to meet all of our needs so we can find eternal peace in the arms of the one who understands. So it's a sad old story, isn't it, of Judas? But it is also a good salutary warning that we don't allow our lives to be overcome in the same way as his was. But we allow the Spirit of Jesus to fill our lives, strengthen us, enable us to deal with situations as Jesus did. Let's pray and let's believe that God is going to touch our lives. Let's pray right now. Lord, we want to be open to you, to hear what you have to say to us about our own lives. We thank you for the wonderful privilege you've given us of being 
able to hear your gospel, to read your word, to see the things that you are doing. Well, we don't want to trust and rely on those, Lord. We want to trust and rely on you and to draw close to you. Father, we ask you that you would come and give us that grace that you had, that grace that causes us to be able to deal with some of life's difficulties, all of life's difficulties, in the way in which you did. Holy Spirit, come and touch our lives afresh with your power. Jesus, let's just have a moment of quiet. Just allow God to touch our hearts. Speak to us.